Good morning. morning. Again, it's me. (laughs) Um, (coughs) Excuse me if I'm clearing my throat. Um, This past week, I got a chance to share a few words at UCLA. Hey, what's up with InterVarsity? And I don't know if you noticed the setup, but we have our speakers behind me so I could hear myself speak. But at this setup, the speakers were in front, so I couldn't hear myself, so I thought you needed to shout. So I think I lost a little bit of my voice. Um, So excuse me if I keep clearing my throat and reaching for my water that's up there. All right. Um, But that was fun. Thanks. That was a lot of fun. Thanks for the invitation. Um, And the 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 the... The food was good, too. <laughs> All right, thank you. Um, anyways, uh, we're in a series. We're towards the end. Uh, I think we're closing this up next week. But we're in a series called Emerge because uh, we're looking at the book of Luke, chapters 4 through 5. And these are chapters that people typically say this is when Jesus kind of came out of the private world into the public world and people started taking notice of him. And so that's why it's called Emerge. And uh, we're going to be looking at the latter part of chapter 5 today. Um, so yesterday I was talking to my wife about, um, you know, a lot of times as a good husband, you listen to what your wife has to say, and you care about what she has to say. That's a sign of a good husband. And um, she was talking about how a few weeks ago there was a, a person who, she works at a school, there was a person who kind of made a decision on her behalf that kind of made her job a lot harder, and she was like, this isn't fair. And then um, two days ago, or three days ago, I think it was a Friday, um, she saw him at a restaurant eating lunch, and she was so angry with him that she kind of turned her back to him, right? And then she, is that how it goes? Like, and then she, she he even came up to your table to say hi, and you didn't even say hi, and you just avoided him, yeah. And I was listening to this, and, you know, as a husband, you're supposed to give a compassionate eye to everything she says, so I'm like, oh, like, but, but apparently I don't have those eyes because she, she, you know, when nothing's communicated, right? Like, she looks at me, and she thinks I'm judging her, but I wasn't, right? And so before I could say anything, a word of, you know, like, oh, it's okay, or whatever. She looks at me, she's like, yeah, I know, I'm not acting like a Christian. Like, yeah, I know, I'm not a Christian today. You know, like, that's kind of the thing she said. And I'm like, no, no, that's not what I was going to say. But, it, but th- th- here's the thing, okay, like, the world has a set of standards for Christians, right? Like, if you were to be, if you're with your friends and you say certain things and some words come out, ex- expletives or whatever might come out, and somebody who knows that you're a Christian will look at you and say, hey, I thought you were a Christian. It's like they set a standard for you. Right, like, or or maybe um, like m- when my mom tells me, okay, and she she she's like, aren't you supposed to be a pastor? Like she she's like, oh, so there's a standard for a pastor. But when I become a pastor, then they give me like a handbook of like what a pastor's supposed to say and not say. You know, like somebody set a standard for us, and we're living according to it, and we get ju- we get judged by those things also, right? And so the question that I want to talk about today is this: um, How well behaved is a Christian? How well behaved is a Christian? Maybe, okay, you're driving down the road and you have one of those Jesus fishes on your bumper, right? Right? And then you're driving past the speed limit and somebody in the car says, dude, I thought you were a Christian. What what is that supposed to mean? Like, are Christians supposed to follow the law? Well, yeah, everybody's supposed to follow the law, right? But who's, like, what is the standard? Like, maybe if you use one bad word a week, then you're a Christian. But if you use two, oh, you're, you're in that gray zone. If you use three, no, just take your Christian badge and turn it in, right? What is, what is a... Like, how is a Christian supposed to behave, right? Because sometimes, and maybe you've been in that situation, you're saying certain things, and then you're like, oops, did I just say that? And everybody around you just stops and looks at you and says, I thought you were a follower of Jesus. Come on, man. I thought you were, I thought you were better than this, <laughs> right? So what qualifies you as a Christian? What disqualifies you as a Christian in terms of behavior, right? Because 
Last time I checked, a Christian isn't somebody that's perfect, right? Nobody here is perfect, and, and I think it's kind of unfair that people put this perfect expectation on Christians, let alone a pastor, right? So, like, maybe, maybe you had a tough day, and you're hanging out with your friends, and you're at, like, an islands or something, and you're like, uh, what would you like to drink? And they're like, I'll have a Diet Coke. And you're like, mm, I think I'll have a, t- like, I don't know, something alcoholic. They're like, <gasps> Are Christians allowed to drink? Like, I, I'm pretty sure, I, I don't know. I need to ask my pastor, like, am I allowed, you're right? And they're like, what is a standard for a Christian? <laughs> or like, what words, like, if it's a four-letter word starting with a certain letter, you can't say it. But if there's a variation of that, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you're, you're about to use a bad word, but instead you kind of switch it out for something else. Is that allowed, right? Like, who creates these rules? And does that have anything to do with following Jesus? Now, the answer I'm going to give you today you might think that your pastor is giving you permission to use bad words. That's not what I'm trying to do, okay? That's not at all. And you'll see that later in the sermon. Okay, <clears throat> but the, the, the thing that I, I really want to question here is, is there a way we're supposed to behave if we're a Christian? I mean, is Christianity the same as behaving? I guess maybe that's, did Jesus come, on, come to this world, die on the cross so that we could be more moral people? Is that the whole purpose of Christianity? Or is there something more to it than that? Because what we're going to look at today, we're going to look at Luke chapter 5 from verse 27. We're going to look at one of Jesus' disciples. Okay, so far in the start, Jesus has three disciples, Peter, John, and James, those three. And now we have the fourth people joining the team, right? And I want you to take a look closely at what kind of person Jesus asked to be on his team. Basically, this person will be called a Christian. I want you to take note as to what kind of person this is. Because what you're going to discover is there is no qualification in terms of behavior to be a Christian. But that's not the entire answer. So let's take a look. Chapter 5, verse 27. After this, and if you've been following us, after this is everything we've been talking about. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector. A tax collector. And his name is Levi, sitting at the tax booth. Now, there's a few things I want you to take note about this character named Levi. Now, Levi has another name, and it was common back there to have multiple names. His other name is Matthew, the guy who wrote the book of Matthew. Okay, so keep that in mind. I might use the name Levi, use the name Matthew, but I'm both talking to the same person. Um, But the fact that his name is Levi, now scholars submit the fact that that if your name is Levi, you can't just say like, what do you want to name your kids? Like, ah, I think I want to call him Levi, you know, or Levi, that's what they would pronounce it back then, but we'll call it Levi because we're Americans, right? It's like, oh, I'll call him Levi. You can't just do that back then. There has to be a purpose behind the name. And if your name is Levi, scholars think that, well, he was called Levi because he came from a group like, Israel has 12 plus clans, you know, divisions, and they think that he was actually born as a member of the, the tribe of the Levites, and that's why they called him Levi. A Levite, in case I'm losing you right here, if you're born of a group of people called the Levites, that means that you are qualified to eventually become a priest. And if you don't become a priest, at least you have that, that, that reputation of being a religious person, a person who connects with God. So here is a tax collector, and I'll talk about that in a second, a tax collector who was originally supposed to be on this track to becoming a priest. So I was like, okay, you're going to be somebody that's really close to God. That's, that was the expectation of this person when he was born. But instead, he's a tax collector. What is a tax collector? A tax collector, well, I know we don't like the IRS. Some of you guys don't like that. Okay, but back then, they had even more angst against them. So here's a quote from a scholar regarding tax collectors. Tax collectors were hated by their fellow Jews. Okay, so a tax collector is a person who is a Jew, 
Okay, he's a Jewish person, and he's hated by everybody in his country because of his job, okay? That they often overcharge people and pocketed the surplus is almost certain. The reason why these people didn't like them is because they would say, you owe this many taxes and add extra dollars to it on purpose so that he could pocket some for himself and then give, it, give the money to the people that the money's owed to. Uh, in the rabbinical writings, which is like, like the law written in stone, basically, these, these, this is like the leaders of the country, okay? These are the people that everybody looks up to. These people wrote down, right, the rabbinical writings says that they are classified with robbers. So the people who are the most trusted people in the country of Israel would always say, <laughs> tax collectors, yeah, they're robbers. Like the association was already made, it's set in stone. They were considered to be renegades who sold their services to the foreign oppressors, in this, in this case the Roman Empire, to make money at the expense of their own countrymen. So if you could just imagine here, this is the setting here, okay? These tax collectors are working for the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire are the people who are oppressing the people of Israel. Okay, so imagine if there was some regime that's controlling this country, the United States. And these bullies are here making sure that they watch everything that you do, making, and they tax you for everything. Why? Because the fact that they're overtaking your country is because they have a lot of like chariots and horses and weapons and people who are on their payroll to fight wars, to oppress the people, right? Basically, one of your people has a job working for the enemy, and the reason the enemy actually exists is because they're taking money from you and feeding it to the enemy. In other words, the empire exists because of this person's job. And to make things worse, he was, he was a Levite. He was supposed to be the person that drew the country towards God. Instead, he's drawing the people into the enemy's hands. People hated tax collectors, and that would be an understatement. People recognize these people as betrayers, and whoever had the job of a tax collector, they will often say that they were heartless, because if you had any heart, you would actually be on the side of your family. Your family, your friends, your neighborhood, your whole country is suffering because you want to earn a few quick bucks by working for the enemy. Imagine this. If somebody in our, in, in, in our, in our community decides like, I'm going to start working for the terrorist because I could get rich that way. So I'm going to sell all the country secrets. I'm going to take your money and give it to them so they can have more weapons. Right? That's exactly what this character is known for doing. So everybody hated his guts. So Jesus is walking into town. He sees a tax collector at his booth, and he's probably counting his money, right? all that kind of stuff. And then Jesus says these next words. He says, follow me. Follow me. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now, the first time you read through this, and most of you guys have probably read this verse before, in my mind, at least when I read it for the first time, I imagined this really brainless decision, right? He's kind of like, oh, counting money. Oh, look at me. I'm so rich. <laughs> Jesus walks by. Follow me. He's like, okay. <laughs> you left everything. He's like, yeah, he just told me to follow. So, like, that's what we think. There was no brains attached to his decision. But there was actually a lot of decision-making and a lot of things that went through his head when he made that decision. For example, eventually Jesus has 12 disciples. Did you know that Levi, Matthew, is the only one where if this whole Jesus thing didn't work out, he was the only one that could not go back to his job? You see, like Peter and those guys, they were fishermen, and they had their own business. So if this whole Jesus thing didn't work out, they could say, well, this Jesus thing didn't work out, so let me go back to my family business and continue to fish. 
As a matter of fact, after Jesus died on the cross and they thought he wasn't raising from the dead, they actually went back and started fishing again. But for someone like Levi, who worked for the Roman Empire, as soon as he leaves his position, he gets filled in with somebody else right away. So Levi, by leaving his job, he was basically saying, I could never come back to this life ever again. So, and he knew, that well, he knew that very well when he did that. So he knew what was on the line when he was about to say, yeah, maybe I should follow Jesus. But you see, there's something else that's going on in his mind. He knows that everybody despises him. He knows the reputation that he has. And he knows that he's gotten so deep into his job, and that if he were to leave it, right, he won't have anybody to turn to. Do you think he could just go to the local job fair and get a job? Remember, he has a reputation. It's like, hi, I used to be a tax collector. I'm looking for a job. It's like, I know who you are, Levi. You've been betraying us for all your... That big house that you have was built on my neighbor's backs. Like, we're poor because of you, but you have that nice... Like, I'm not going to give you a job. Levi had everything to lose by following Jesus. And so before he decided to leave his job, he decided to have a big party, like a farewell to me party, right? But he does it in the name of Jesus. So here's the next verse right here, verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors, that would be his co-workers, I guess, and others were eating with him. So he's like, all right, everybody, come to my party, come to my big house. We're going to have food, we're going to have wine, we're going to enjoy ourselves, and Jesus is also invited, and everybody's here, and all the tax collectors sitting down. It's like, hey, Levi, I heard you're leaving your job. It's like, yeah. You know, you see that guy right there over there standing with a group of uh, three other guys? Yeah, right there, yeah. I'm going to start following him. He's going to be my rabbi. I'm going to follow him, and uh, that means uh, this is it for me. This is my ticket out. I'm sick and tired of betraying my neighbors. I'm sick and tired of living my life like this, being hated by my community. It's time for me to take one step forward in the right direction. After years and years of stepping in the wrong direction, I know my reputation is bad in the community, but I feel like I can make a difference by taking one step, even if it's a small step, in the right direction. And that first step is this party is to invite everybody and tell everybody that I'm going to follow that rabbi. Everybody's heard me? Okay, good. I'm going to start looking. This is my last day as a tax collector, and I'm going to take that one step towards Jesus. Now, this is the one step in the right direction, and we should be applauding that. It's like, oh, good job. You know, I know it's a hard step to make. I know that you're, you might lose your house eventually because you're going to be poorer than you were until now, and not only that, your neighbors are still going to be scoffing at you. Like, I know this is hard, but good job that you're taking that one step forward. Good job. And right when he was making that really good first step, we have somebody else show up at the party. Let's find out who they are. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these are religious people who belonged to their sect, so they knew who uh, uh, the tax collector was, they knew who Levi was, complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So here's Jesus with his disciples over here right? And here's the big party. The, and so Jesus is probably talking to some of the people over here. And then here comes these religious rulers, and they're talking to his disciples. Hey, why is your master hanging out with those low lives, the, the scum of society? Why, why is he hanging out with them? Now, the reason why he's saying this is because there's a custom back then. The custom is if you're eating with somebody in an, any official manner, that means that you're willing to put your reputation on the line to associate yourself with that person. Okay, so that means... If you see me having a, having a meal with somebody who has a really bad reputation, let's just say it's like a really bad politician, right? By me eating with that person in public, I'm basically saying, hey, everybody, I associate myself with this person. So these religious rulers are like, what is Jesus doing? 
I thought he claimed to be the son of God. If he is, he shouldn't be doing that because now he's putting a lot of dirt on the name of God. So maybe either A, he's not the son of God, or B, um, your master kind of lost it. Like, so th- that's what's going on here. Okay, so at this point, we, as a reader of the story, we have this, this torn view. Okay, we have the religious people and we have the tax collectors. And the question is, why is Jesus, ha- is, why is Jesus hanging out with the betrayers? the tax collectors. So let's, let's put these two names up here. We have tax collectors and we have Pharisees. Like I said, tax collectors were seen as the low lives of society. That people said if they just weren't here, life would be so much better. That's the kind of people they were. Pharisees, on the other hand, they were seen as heroes. As a matter of fact, the reputation of the Pharisees at this time, I know today we talk about Pharisees in a very derogatory way, but back then when this story takes place, Pharisees were seen as well, basically the epitome of society. These people had the reputation of gathering together, talking and meeting, and figuring out ways to make the world a better place. Like they would talk about, you know, maybe if we just behaved better, then maybe God would have more favor on us. We have these Romans who are occupying our land. Maybe if we just do the right things, God would drive them out. Like, so they would get together and find religious ways of how to get God to work on their behalf to make their land better. That's, so people love these people, right? Now, but here's a question for all you Bible buffs. When Jesus talked about somebody in a negative way, did he usually talk about the betrayers and tax collectors in that way, or did he talk about the Pharisees in that manner? As a matter of fact, every single time Jesus used the word hell, talking about the punishment of hell, he always associates that with Who? not the tax collectors, with the Pharisees, with the religious rulers. Why is that? Why would Jesus take basically a national treasure like the Pharisees, right, and say, everything wrong with the society, you guys. Why would, he, why would he do that? What is so wrong with these Pharisees that Jesus would have something bad to say about them, but in, in most cases when he's talking to the tax collectors, he only has nice things to say. Now, let me kind of stop right here and tell you. He's not saying that betraying your country is a good thing. I want to make sure that that's clear, okay? He's not saying live like a tax collector because that's what God is happy with. You're going to find out soon that that's not why he likes the tax collectors. And he's also saying it's not good to be a religious person. He's not saying that at all. You're going to find out really quickly that that's not the reason why he has such bad things to say about these people. As a matter of fact, if you want to know why Jesus doesn't, like these, doesn't agree with these, these, these religious people, these Pharisees, I want to help you by, under, by, by kind of jumping to another biography of Jesus, which is called the book of Matthew. Okay, and this is, this is a section, it's rare to find passages like this, but in the book of Matthew chapter 23, you'll find a list of reasons why Jesus doesn't like these people. You want to take a look at this? Why Jesus didn't like these people so much? Okay, let's take a look. Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the teachers of the law, these are like Pharisees, right? These are the, right? Teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Sits in Moses' seat. What is that? Well, Moses' seat is an actual seat. It looks like this. And there was more than one. Uh, There's probably one in most synagogues. Okay, and so, and but basically, uh, uh, Moses' seat is basically a seat that a religious ruler was set on. So like a Pharisee would sit on it, um, the, the scholars would sit on it, um, the priests would sit on it, like, right? And basically what it is, is if you're sitting on there and you open up a scroll and you start talking about it, whatever you say becomes truth. Think of this as a pulpit. It gives you the authority to say certain things about the word of God, and everybody who's listening to you has to accept it. That's, that's what this is, 
Okay, so these people, these religious rulers, he's like, Jesus is like, let me tell you why I don't like these people, these religious rulers. I'll tell you why I don't agree with them. He's like, it's because they sit in these seats. Now, there's nothing wrong with the seat, and there's nothing wrong from, in seeing the seat and giving instructions from there, but look carefully as, as to what they do from that seat. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. He says, these guys, they, sit on these pul- they, they stand at the pulpit and they preach these sermons telling people to do things that are humanly impossible. It's like me standing here telling everybody, all right, guys, this is the assignment for this week. Stop sinning, all right? Okay, I'll see you guys next week. Peace, okay, now. But he says, they would give these heavy loads of burdens on people's shoulders, right? And they themselves, behind closed doors when they go home, they're not practicing it at all. Like these people, like, they give him these heavy things, and at home, they're not even doing a little pinky worth, <laughs> worth of things that he just talked about. It's like, that's one of the reasons I don't like them. That's one of the reasons why I don't agree with what they're doing. These religious rulers, they, they, you know why they do this? And he kind of gives us more. He says this, everything they do is done for people to see. It's like, the reason why I don't like them is because they're all show and no substance. They pretend like they're holy, and they tell everybody, like, hey, you need to do this, 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 and let me set the bar for you, me. You got to be like me, okay? All right. And then behind closed doors, they're not even living up to that standard that they set for themselves. And then at this point, Jesus is like, let me give you six examples, and we'll go through really quickly. Let me give you six examples of how these people are, like, totally not doing the thing that I want them to do. Here we go. They make their phylacteries wide. Okay, phylacteries. These are little boxes they put on their foreheads, okay? And in the Old Testament, it says that you're supposed to keep the word of God close to your head and to your hand. That's in everything you think and everything you do, okay? But they took it literally, and so what they do is they take a piece of a, a parchment of a scroll with the passages on it, and they put it in a little box on their foreheads, and they walk around with these little things. And one day, I guess Pharisee Phil was walking down the street, and he had a bigger version of it. Everyone was like, whoa, look at that phylactery. He must have two scrolls in there. He is so holy. Oh. Right? That's probably what's going on, right? And Pharisee Phil is like, ah, I kind of like the attention I'm getting right now. People think I'm holier now. And so he tells his other Pharisee friends, hey, I was walking down the street the other way, the main street of Jerusalem, and people thought I was awesome for wearing that big thing. And they're like, well, in that case, and so next guy, next Pharisee, he's like, I got this big old thing. It's a tissue box. I'm walking around. And everyone's like, whoa, he must have at least five scrolls in there. So he's like, these people, they have extra big phylacteries on their foreheads because it makes them look holy. Well, they're really not. I, I've seen behind the doors. I, I know they don't do that. And then it says tassels. They have, and tassels of their garments long. Okay, in, in the Old Testament, um, they had these shawls, prayer shawls. It's like a uh, look at little beach blanket they put on your shoulders. But at the corner of, of that shawl, they have these long tassels with five knots in them. And the instruction in the Old Testament is whenever you feel tempted, you grab the, the tassel and it'll help you, over, it'll help you tempt, uh, overcome your temptations. The five knots represents the five books of the, old, of, of the Torah, you know, Genesis all the way to Deuteronomy. Okay, and so, so you know, they're like, you know, you, you, so every time somebody sees a tassel coming from the back of a, of a religious person, they're looking at him like, man, look at that tassel. He must not be tempted. He must be so holy. Whoa, look at that. And then one day, Pharisee Phil is like walking around, and he had a longer tassel than usual. It's like, whoa, look at the long length of that tassel. Whoa. And look at the size of those knots. Like, those knots are so big. He must never get tempted. 
And Pharisee's like, oh, I like the attention I'm getting. Okay, all right. And he tells this other Pharisee and religious people, friends, and they're like, yeah, from now on, let's have a conscience of who has the longest. Like, my tassels are so long, it drags on the ground when I walk, right? And everybody's like, whoa, look at how holy he is. So Jesus is saying, you know what I don't like about these people? They care more about their appearance of how holy they are than who, who they really are on the inside. And by doing so, they're setting this bar that even they can't achieve, right? And instead, people are like, I gotta be more like them, but they're trying to compare themselves to a character that don't really exist, right? And it's just so it says, they love the place of honor at banquets. So when you go to a, like a gathering, people are like, here's the religious person who's super holy. Please sit on the nicest chair. Everybody, you know, and there was like a, a system where the most important person had the best seat and it kind of trickled down from there. So basically, when a religious person walks into the room, he gets the top place, and everybody gets demoted by one, one position. So they're like, oh, here comes Pharisee Phil. I hope I'm not offending anybody named Phil here, but okay. <laughs> so here's Pharisee Phil. Sit down, sit down. Everybody gets pushed back, one, right? It's like, you know why they do that? Because they love getting the attention that they're getting. Um, and they get the most important seat in the synagogue. Even when you go to religious service, they sit at the most important seat. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. They love the title that they get. Now, I want you to get the idea of what Jesus is talking about here. This is who they really are, and their reputation is above them. There's a disconnect of who they are and how the society views them. Do you see what's going on here? And he says, and we're going to find out later on, okay, that there's, this is actually very deadly, this is actually a very scary thing to do, right? Because Jesus is saying, I've seen them behind closed doors. I know, because I'm God, I know exactly how they live their lives. I know their hearts. And their hearts is this, okay? That this is them, and the reputation is here, and everybody thinks that this is them, and they don't want to let go of this reputation because this reputation is what gives them the nicest chairs and the nicest, you know, positions and the titles that they get, right? So they don't want to lose this, but they're really actually here. And then Jesus concludes this section in the book of Matthew, by, let's skip to verse 13. It says this, Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. The word hypocrite here, oh, I'll get to that in a second. Okay. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven and people's faces. When people want to get involved with the things that God is doing, they're like, nope, you're not good enough. You're not holy like me. You can't come up, become a part of this. How dare you do that? You yourselves do not enter. He's like, and by the way, by the standards you set for people to join the kingdom of God, you don't qualify. <laughs> right? Nor will you let those enter who are trying to. It says, you guys are hypocrites. And the word hypocrite here, okay, is, it, by the way, the New Testament's written in Greek, okay, and the Greek word there is hypocritai. What that means is, if you've been to, like, a theater, what they do back then is, if you're seeing the way back, you know, where, because you came late or you didn't have enough money to get the nice seats, yeah, you're in the back, and you're trying to see the actors do their thing, but you can't see if they're happy or sad because your eyesight's getting bad, right? So back then, for those people in the back, they had these big masks. So if they're happy, you put up a happy mask, and if you're sad, you put up a sad mask. Not much acting involved, but that was okay back then, I guess, right? And those masks were called the word that we translate for the word hypocrite. So what he's saying is, you guys are so good at putting on masks. You, on your mask, it says, I'm the super holy person, but behind that mask you're actually a broken person. <laughs> you're a very broken person. So he's like, this is why I have a problem. Like, you, you religious people, you Pharisees, this is my problem with you. Next slide. The Pharisees hid behind their masks of good behavior and elite titles. 
And it's easy to point our fingers at them and say, bad job. But you know what? I think we could all relate to this. As a matter of fact, as a pastor, I could totally relate to this because I'm a religious leader, I guess, in some sense, right? Well, okay, I'll tell you why I could relate to this. Because in some sense, pastor as like a general profession, it requires you to put your best foot forward every single time you see somebody. Because my behavior could disqualify me in your eyes as a pastor, right? If, if I show up at your Super Bowl Sunday game, right, and I'm rooting for one team and they're losing, and I start yelling at the TV and I start using bad words, right, you're going to be like, are you really a pastor? Did I really just say that out loud? You know, right? <laughs> I mean, because my job is on the line based off of how I come off to you and my behavior. Isn't that right? And I, it doesn't just stop there. One day when my kids grow up, they're going to eventually realize, oh, my dad's a pastor. That makes me a pastor's kid. I got to make sure I'm on my best behavior too. And so they try to build this image of them that they're really not. But it's not just pastors, is it? As Christians, you have to act a certain way because you're representing Jesus in the workplace or at your school. And so you're like, you, know, like you have to create this reputation of you, this image of you, in a way you put on a mask of yourself, right? When you yourself is down here, you're trying to present this version of you that's not even real. You see, these people, these Pharisees, their jobs depended, and the respect and the title that they received depended highly on the, this face they put into the public. What we're going to discover today is that very mask that they put into the public so that people, they could keep their jobs or they could maintain that respect from the people around them, that very mask that they put out, that itself was the thing that was holding them back. But I want to ask you this question before we move on, which is this. Who are you without your mask? Who are you? You see, a lot of times we like to say, like, hey, <laughs> I have a PhD, <laughs> right? And then, boom, right there. I want you to focus on that and not me because this is what's going to give me my value. This is what's going to give me a good reputation. Or it's like, hey, you know, man, I'm pretty rich. And you talk about how much money you have because if you just put that in the forefront, that acts as a good mask so that you could hide behind it because you know that you could get more respect by using what you own than actually presenting who you are, right? Or it could be your skills. I'm really good at playing basketball, you know, or I'm really good at this. I'm really good at... I don't know what you're good at, crossword puzzles, I don't know, right? But whatever you're good at, it's easier to put that in the forefront and hide behind it and say, look at my mask because this is what I want you to know me for. Or it could be knowledge. Oh, look at that guy, that guy's so smart. Yeah, but who is he behind closed doors? I don't know, but he's really smart. I want to be like him. Yeah, but do you know how he treats his, his family? I don't know, but I want to be like him because he's smart. Oh, yeah, you know. Or maybe like, man, that guy uses big words. <laughs> he must, uh, I like that guy. He's used big, you know. And the thing here is when the, when the Pharisees, they put out this mask of religiosity, good behavior, these titles, when they do that, there's a hype that's cre created around that, that mask that, that they like to put out. And eventually, here's the problem. These people, these Pharisees, they eventually start believing in that hype. They think that they are all that in a bag of chips. So the second question, the second part of this question is, is your mask holding you back from God? Because here's the thing. Remember that disconnect I talked about? This is who people think you are, and this is who you are really, right? And this is how God sees you. God knows who you really are. He also knows about this mask that you like to put on, right? But, but here's the thing. This is the problem because we're going okay, uh, to go back to the book of Luke in a second, right? This 
difference. You have to eventually choose which one is more important to you. Is the mask that you're putting out in public more important to you, or is the person who you really are that God actually sees, so you have nothing to hide from him, is that more important to you? Because the response to that party when the, you know, the religious people showed up and said, hey, well, how come Jesus is hanging out with those sinners? The response to that by Jesus is very revealing. It's very revealing. Okay, so let's take a look at this. This is Jesus. We're back in Luke. Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now, we kind of lose things in translations. So let me kind of help you out in today's ways of talking about it. It says, Jesus answered them, it is not the, and if you could use air quotes, healthy who need a doctor but the sick. This is what he's saying. You like to put on this mask that you're the healthiest, spiritually healthiest person in the world, Pharisees, right? But I know you're actually here, so you're actually sick, right? And Jesus comes to the scene and says, you know, I am here for the sick, not the healthy. Basically what he's saying is, if you choose to live by this reputation that you have, then I'm not for you. If you choose to throw that away and admit that you're actually sick, then you're for me. That's what he's saying here. It's so like, you seem healthy on the outside, right? And behind closed doors, I know you're sick. And I know that if we had nobody else here, and the doors were closed, it was like a private situation, and nobody's watching what's happening, and we promise that nothing leaves this room, right? And I, if I were to say, hey, I'm here to help the sick, you would immediately run to me and say, yes, Jesus, I need help. But because there's so many tax collectors here, there's other religious people here who are watching this whole thing take place, you can't throw away that, that facade because that's the thing that gives you purpose and, and, and a nice place in society. So Jesus says, in case you don't understand this whole illustration I'm giving to you right now, let me make it clear. Next verse. I have come to call the righteous, and again, I would put air quotes around it. I have, like, I have not come to call the righteous, the people who have the reputation of being righteous, but I came here for the sinners who want to repent, the sinners to repent. He's like, you have this reputation of being righteous, and until you're willing to toss that out the window, I can't help you. This division of who people think you are and who you really are and the fact that you can't throw this away, that is the thing that's holding you away from Jesus. That is actually a deadly thing you're doing there, he would say to the Pharisees. If nobody was here, you immediately throw that away and come clean. But because people are watching, you can't let go of this. I'll, I'll put it this way. In the church, we have this reputation of being hypocrites. I wouldn't call you guys hypocrites, but you know, people, yeah, okay. And <clears throat> But I, I could prove it to some extent. If you've been coming to church for I don't know how many years or how many months or how many weeks, and you've been trying your best to put up this facade that you're trying to make the people sitting next to you think that you're holier than they are, right? Like, I got everything together, you know? And then this morning I say, you know, I'm gonna have a time of prayer. What I'm gonna do is anybody who really needs prayer for, uh, let's pick something, and uh, um, let's just say, hey, um, if you have low self-esteem or, or if you have insecurity issues, it's like, I want to pray for you. God wants to touch that part of your life. I'm going to pray for you right now, right? And some of you who already have the reputation in, in, the, in the community, like people around me know that I, I have some self-doubt. People know that I'm insecure. You know, for you to stand up and come up here, it's not a big deal. 
right? Because everybody knows, right? But for somebody who's like trying to build this facade of I have everything together, for you to say, yes, I need prayer to come up, that's admitting to the people around you that you're not actually this, but you're actually down here. Does that make sense? And so for the people who are like, I don't want the people sitting next to me to know that I'm actually broken, you will not come up and receive prayer. Why? Because you don't want the people around you to know that you're actually broken. They're actually not healthy. And this is what Jesus is saying to these people, these religious people. I'm here dining with these people because they decided to take one step in the right direction because they admit to being sinners. They admit to being broken. You guys can't admit to that because the minute you do that, you lose your jobs. You lose that high seat in that synagogue or that party that you could go to. Like, people stop talking about the phylacteries on your head. People stop talking about the tassels that are hanging from the side of your, you know, your, your tassels. People stop looking at you as the holy ones of our society. And for that reason, I'm hanging out with these guys because these guys are honest. These guys are willing to throw that image away. In this case, their image wasn't there anyway, so they're like, it's easy for them to come to me and invite me and for me to hang out with them and take in this journey of taking a step in the right direction. But you, you can't do it because your image, your, the image that people have of you, you have a hard time letting go of it because that, you think that is what defines you. Do you have a mask that's holding you back from God? Do you have a mask that you can't let go of? Because the minute you say, sorry guys, everything I've been presenting for the last few months, it was all a a show, but look at me, this is who I am. I actually struggle with this sin and that sin. And I've been afraid that you might judge me and and all that kind of stuff. And let me talk about judgment for a second. Uh, um, You see, when Jesus looks at, 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 at Levi and the tax collectors, he doesn't judge them for being tax collectors. Now, this is the part that really blows my mind because he, I know Jesus doesn't like the fact that they're betraying their friends and family, right? But he looks at the tax collectors and he doesn't say, you guys are betrayers, you guys gotta stop what you're doing. Instead, he has praises for these people for taking that step forward in the right direction. And we know what that tells me about Jesus? This is what it tells me about Jesus. That Jesus acknowledges your trajectory more than your current state. He cares the fact that you're actually on your way to something good than just focusing on where you are right now. We're on this path, right? So if you caught me, this is the judging part, okay, if you caught me doing something bad, something that doesn't look pastoral, okay, I don't know what that would be, but let your imaginations go wild. Not too wild, but just wild, <laughs> okay? And for you to stand there and judge me, you're, what you're doing is you're judging me for the current state I'm in right now but you have dismissed the fact that I'm on this trajectory that day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, that God is gradually moving me one step forward in the direction that I need to go. You've been a Christian for four weeks, let's just say, and then uh, another Christian drives by and says, hey, look, what are you doing? A Christian wouldn't do that, or what are you wearing? Christians don't wear stuff like that, and you're like, don't judge me, man. If you, if you see me four weeks ago, you would know that this is an improvement, <laughs> right? <laughs> But that's the thing. This is why we can't judge people because you're only getting a snapshot of their current state. But you're dismissing the fact that there is this trajectory that they're on and God is taking them on this journey of getting better and better and better because God is here for the people who want to take that step forward. The people who are saying, yes, I am a sinner and I want to repent. Repent, the word repent actually in the Hebrew means to return, to go back to the image that God originally intended for me to have. This is why we can't judge people. We can't look at a person and say, I saw what you said, I heard what you said, uh, you know, and that's not something Jesus' followers would say. 
20 years from now, I would bet that that person is a better person, a better version of that person that you saw 20 years ago because Jesus is more concerned about the trajectory that you're on than the current state that you're in right now. This is why Jesus looks at the tax collectors favorably because these people are willing to admit who they are. Like, look, no masks, this is who I am. And I'm willing to take that one step forward. I'm willing to run towards Jesus. I'm willing to take, inch my way towards Jesus every day of my life versus the tax collectors who pretend like they have everything made and because they have everything made, they will use words like, I have arrived. <laughs> I don't have to improve anymore because I'm the godliest person in the world, right? And for those people, there is no trajectory. There is no trajectory. <laughs> to take a step means that you have a trajectory. To not take any step means that you have no trajectory. And Jesus is more interested in people who are saying, I'm willing to step, inch my way towards the glory that you, you call me to. So I ask again, what is the mask that you're wearing right now? And is it hard to remove that mask in public? See, this is something that I knew before becoming a pastor. And so I remember talking to Lori and saying like, yeah, you know, as pastors, we need to be careful of these things. Like, we don't want people to think that we're holier than everybody else. And you guys know that because every Sunday we come up here and preach, we always tell you a story that, uh, stories of us messing up. This is a great confession space for pastors. And, but <laughs> um, and we are part, all the pastors are part of a life group. The people in my life group, they know my trash. They know where I mess up. Sometimes people are like, that's too much information. <laughs> and my life group is laughing because they know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> Because even pastors, especially pastors, we need a place where we can say, this is who I really am. Don't be fooled by the fact that I'm preaching every Sunday. This is something I do, but it's not who I am. In the same way, have you tried to create a mask for yourself so the people in the church will respect you for the holiness that you have? And is it hard to remove that mask? Because having a hard time removing that mask could be the very thing that's holding you back from Jesus. So there's two things I want you to do this week. Acknowledge where you are without your mask. Who are you, really? How sick are you? How broken are you? That's number one. And number two, and from that point, commit to saying, I'm going to take one step towards Jesus today. Like, he is good. There's nothing good in me. So I'm going to run towards Jesus today. He is light. I am darkness. But you know what? I'm going to take one step towards Jesus today. And it's this repetition, doing this every day. And people have different words for this. In the Bible, they even call that to carry your cross. That's what it means. It's to basically saying, I'm going to just submit myself to Jesus today. I'm going to submit myself to Jesus again. It's basically saying, I'm running towards Jesus. And that's what we got to do. Because the pride that we have in putting on that mask to get the people around us to think that we're better than we actually are is actually holding us back from him. Amen? All right, let me pray for us.